Can I kick us off? No, well, I did it last time. You should do it this time. Okay. Did I do it last time? Yeah, we made a whole thing out of it. <laughs> That's right. Okay, um... Hi, everybody. This is Seth. And this is Julia. And we are running out of movies. <laughs> oh, I'm so I realized, happy. <laughs> I realized the problem you had with the way I was doing it is I was saying, and this is running out of movies. Right. And I which was is like, not as cute or fun. Right, because it's like, this is Seth and this is Julia, and together we are running out of movies. Both the show and the thing. Right. I like that a lot. So I nailed it. I internalized it. I was like, as always, in the moment, it was a stupid fight where I just tried to get some pot shots in. <laughs> just instant cruelty. <laughs> Weeks later, walking around, I was just like, oh. And then I was like, I'll do that right next time. Um, so yeah, so that uh, today we are doing... Eyes wide shut. Eyes wide that's why I shut. I've been been excited to do this movie because it's so weird and horny. It's so not our... It's not our style at all. Yeah, we're weird and not horny. Yeah, we're we're weird and anti-horny. Yeah, absolutely. And (laughs) yeah, I think we kind of... And it's maybe a deficit on our part. We tend to, I don't know, not take horny art that seriously. Um, We had to come up with five horny pieces of art we admire. Well, that's not going to happen. (laughs) I got five. Okay. (laughs) You're always proposing games on the podcast and being like, I'll, let, I'll give you some time to think about it. Okay, here are my five. <laughs> I just like, think I don't. <laughs> I'm gonna don't hate the player. <laughs> hate the game he invented on the fly on the cuts, put you on the spot. Um, so yeah, I think we should. We forgot to put a list to list our. Do you want? Do you want a thing that's closer to yeah, you so, so that I you're not I'll always stop. leaning I'll... leaning away from the. No, you know what? I'll just hold it like a big boy. Uh, so, uh, we didn't write down the format, but I think we should kind of try to remember it, which I think is... Yeah, well, why don't you... Let's summarize the movie in a very broad terms, like jacket copy terms. Jacket copies. Yeah. yeah level. So, this is Eyes Wide Shut, which came out in, I want to say, 1999, 2000. That is exactly when it, it was, exactly 1999. 1999, with, like, there was, someone was just doing a... No, there was about 2003. But I think the same applies for 1999, like, 19... 1999 was the 2003 of the 90s, I'm going to say. <laughs> and they both had, it's kind of like the weird, off, like almost our world, but not quite. Anyway. I'm, so I'm... This movie fits right in there is the point. <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut is just like, bang, 1999 on the dot. I am Google imaging the back cover of the DVD so that I can read the jacket copy. I think what I just said is pretty definitive. <laughs> I, I, I think know. we've covered it. Yeah. I think we got People it. People was like, got it. Eyes Wide Shut 1999 is kind of like the 2003 of the 90s. <laughs> right. That You're describing the year, not the movie. Right. You realize. Oh, I'm so glad that 2016's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no. This is in German. This is wohlhabend, erfolgreich, young, and attractive. I've been on Duolingo for months. I don't know what attractive means in German. <laughs> Um, oh God, that's Dutch. Why are you here? Here we are. Okay. It is. It does feel like a European movie. It does. Well, he was he, British. Was, it, was he British? <laughs> was I thought he was American, but he just insisted on. But living, he just insisted on, on living, living in, in Britain, <laughs> which is like that's a choice. Uh, no, I just assumed, I just had heard that thing that he wouldn't leave. Oh yeah, he was. God, we're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we really don't really. It's, you're getting a fresh raw take, not one of these movie snobs, you know. <laughs> okay. Where's he from? Is he from like New York? Wait, no, I, I already closed the tab. Hang on. He is from New York. I kind of knew. I guess I kind of knew. He's he, from Kubrick New York is, City. And this is kind of... Um, Raised in the Bronx. 
I think Kubrick is, I may be growing it out of it, growing out of it a tiny bit. 2001 is like my favorite not funny movie, which is, um, I think how we should categorize dramas. There's, <laughs> there's funny movies and then there's, there's not, not funny, funny movies. <laughs> and it, um, but yeah, so 2001 has been my favorite not funny movie for unfunny, I guess, movie for a long time. I think you... <laughs> it's describing, specifically describing it as an unfunny movie. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I experience it. <laughs> I usually go, I'm going to a movie to laugh and laugh. Um, but you, are, I think, are more ambivalent to Kubrick in general. Oh, yeah. I would I would say I'm ambivalent to negative. Which is? Parsh- mainly because he ruined The Shining, which is an amazing book, and the mm, movie is garbage. I watched The Shining prepared to be impressed, but it is, I think, in terms of... Like it's like the, the opening scene of The Shining in which there is zero dramatic tension so at all. Him talking when he gets the job, it feels like, I don't know if this is what Kubrick was going for, but I feel like this is the kind of thing that like film bros give him too much credit for. It was like a bad dramatization from like a true crime show from the 90s. Not one of these good current true crime shows, but you know, <laughs> like it felt like a dramatization you'd see in like Rescue 911 with <laughs> William Shatner. Yeah. Where there's just zero tension. It's very deliberately banal banal is it banal i don't know I've, i only ever read that word i'm from i'm from ohio i'm gonna go with banal um <laughs> so um yeah where it's so anyway we're a little we're gonna we, a little yeah we've already gotten off the um but i think it is a helpful context to be like i'm kind of i like kubrick but i'm kind of like maybe going through back but it's just oh, like right i also like to these like these are the biases that we we're bringing yeah. into this movie i'm also like at that stage in life where you go back and rewatch your favorite childhood movie and realize how socially transgressive and horrible it was oh yeah you know so Absolutely. it's like so i'm not i'm not handing out blank checks to anyone anymore like I, everyone gets a fresh like uh, evaluation anyway <laughs> okay so eyes wide shut 1999 this is the back of the DVD. Kubrick's haunting final masterpiece. Vivid, brilliant, unforgettable. Richard Chickle time. Stanley Kubrick's daring last film is many things. It is a compelling psychosexual journey, a haunting dreamscape, a riveting tale of suspense. A major milestone in the careers of stars Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and, quote, a worthy final chapter to a great director's career, Roger Ebert. Cruise plays Dr. William Harford, who plunges into an erotic foray that threatens his marriage and may even ensnare him in a lurid murder mystery after his wife, Kidman's, admission of sexual longings. As the story sweeps from doubt to fear, well, doubt and fear to self-discovery and reconciliation, Kubrick orchestrates it with masterful flourishes, graceful tracking shots, controlled pacing, rich colors, startling images, Bravura traits that make Kubrick a filmmaker for the ages are here to keep everyone's eyes wide open. <laughs> uh, commercial criticism. Uh, well, that, that's the jacket. No, that's copy. the jacket. Okay. Yeah. But that could, that, that would be fit for like, you know, I don't know. So that is the film that we will be discussing on today's right. podcast. I just want to point out just kind of like, because I was a little bit more with it in the in the 90s i think you were probably just <laughs> still a child still yeah. literally oh, yeah, literally under 13 years i don't old. know why i go down that way because it's just gross um uh but no and i have no idea what i'm talking about either but i do think it's odd and i don't know if this is part of this move part of the problem this movie ran into with the public which is that like and i'd like i'd be interested to read more because i again i haven't done any research because it's not a good podcast um <laughs> About how Kubrick felt about Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in the leads. Because they were, like, the biggest stars in the world at the time. And I think it was odd that this was kind of, like, 
a movie everyone knew about when it was like this kind of art house erotic thriller, but it was given the marketing of like a mainstream movie. So it's like you often don't see mainstream erotic art movies. Like it's a very odd positioning. Uh, so are you saying that like he, you're thinking he would have wanted to release it as a smaller, more arty movie with... um I think well, more unknown people because also he was super not, famous by then too. Right, so it's like it probably w- it was going to be a would have been a it was going to be a weirdo blockbuster no matter what. But I do think that like Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman is different packaging than I don't know even just like people who are still very famous but who were a bit more in the character actor zone, you know? Because it's like a lot of this movie's plot hinges on Tom Cruise feeling insecure about his masculinity, and it's just like oh well, yeah, it doesn't make any. But I, I don't know. Also, we're already skipping ahead of the format. Right, right. So we've done, right, we've, we've said hello, we've read the jacket copy. This is all part of my 1999-2003 blockbuster bo- boner movie uh, analysis. So, uh, I was, I think I was going to say, that's, yeah, but, that's the movie we will be discussing. Mm-hmm. But first, how are things going with us? That's right, life stuff. Life stuff. So Julia is about ready to just... Uh, Drop a baby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is... Are you uncomfortable? Or are you... Yes. Mm-hmm. You, haven't, you, you don't have the waddle yet. I don't have the waddle yet. I don't think the baby's like... Is it because you're too tall? Dropped yet? Like, I think it needs... I think it has to make its way further down into my pelvis before that happens. I gotcha. Um, which is... I don't know when that's happening. Um, I don't think it started yet. I don't know. Definitely feeling a lot of, like, cervix pain these days, so I assume that that's part of it, mm-hmm. but I don't know. We had our 36-week appointment. That went well. This week, which was fun. We got to see Lydia's face, even though we thought we weren't going to, because she's head down, which is good. Yeah. Well, yeah, but we got to see at least half of her face. Mm-hmm. It is kind of like we're now in the lead-up to the end, which is scary and, and fun, but mm-hmm. scary. Yeah, it's surreal. I've kind of, it's one of the things, too, like... I can only, this is a, a trite comparison, but like having a book come out, you kind of relegate it indefinitely to the future. So that when it comes, it's just kind of, it's, even if it's good, it's a shock. Yeah. Like, kind of a betrayal of your attitude toward the thing. We've been talking a lot about how it's, it's such a big thing in our heads, but like in real life, it's just going to be a day. Right. It's just going to be a regular day where like some stuff is going to be annoying and weird and some stuff is going to be slow and boring and like, it's not going to be like this grand event that we're kind of seeing it as right right yeah because it's like you when you fantasize about something you basically have like a three second loop you can maintain of you like holding a baby or like you know right like the moment when you first meet and you're like oh my god but then it's like in real life you hold the baby for three seconds and then it's just like okay what now um so yeah i'm looking forward to it like i enjoy i think i love doing the next thing i hate transitions mm-hmm. you love transitions you love to hang out in them so i feel like yeah. this part's gonna be harder on you yeah like i waiting around for nine months has been the hard part for me while our life is getting ready to change irrevocably where yeah that's the part where i've been like okay let's plan a bunch of things let's read a bunch of things like let's get all of our ducks in a row right which is the part that i've been really enjoying like checking right. things off lists I think buying a bunch of things. Your least favorite part of like, I need to go to the hospital. That's gonna be my favorite part. That's gonna be right. the same to me as like, let's go get ice cream. Like it's happening. Yeah, as long as it's an it's an impulse. I'm like you know, or like has impulsivity to it. I'm like I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, where I think that 
is the point where I'm going to start freaking out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to try to reassure you on that because I think you are. But you will also bounce back really quick because uh, you're great. But yeah, so that's where we're at. And yeah, not much else going on. I have two weeks left of work. That's exciting. Which you is... really need. You needed this break regardless of I'm glad that we're pretending to have a baby so you can get <laughs> What if I, I mean, I am working from home. I could just be wearing a baby bump under my clothes and no one would know. Why didn't we do that? <laughs> just take pictures of some random baby off the, off the internet and send that around. I think everyone? you've taught me enough about Photoshop to where I could Photoshop some combination of our faces onto a baby. <laughs> so yeah, no, we're excited. I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, what else is going on? Yeah, I mean, just really busy at work getting ready for stuff and then checking all the things off of our baby preparation list we have been crazy busy like we for example we were very excited we had a long weekend so we watched eyes wide shut like last weekend and we're like <laughs> we're like let's cannot wait to podcast and then we watched that movie and we just checked it like we'd been watching it for like what felt like forever for like three hours and we was like how much time do we have left and it was like we had like two and a half hours left it was <laughs> yeah, unbelievable this is a long movie um but yeah so do you want to get into kind of synopsis reactions? Yeah. Um, wait, I'm going to pull up the runtime. 159 minutes. Man. So I guess I, it's just two and a half hours. It felt even longer. Yeah. So the movie kind of starts with an opening image of just Nicole Kidman getting dressed. Oh, yeah. The first shot is Nicole Kidman butt naked. Not, and it's in, in zero continuity with anything going on. I guess she's getting ready for a party. But, like, um, they also use the same shot. It. What, and it's like, I'm no prude, but it kind of felt like a producer note of being like, this oh. movie is real boring. Let's get Nicole Gibbons' butt in <laughs> as quickly as we can. It uh, is real boring. It is interesting that something I noticed is that um, we see Nicole Kidman like fully naked like five times in the first 15 minutes. And then the entire rest of the movie, she's dressed very frumpy and yeah. mom-like. Yeah. And like we, with her kid the whole time. Yeah, they kind of have these... Um, what I think, I this was not my reaction, but these kind of anti-boner glasses. I think it's what the movie yes. was thinking that they put her in. And right, like li- like little librarian circle glasses. I had a hard time tracking her character for that reason because it was just like, I didn't understand how they were positioning her or, or, or what. But so it starts with them. So we see her being very sexily and in kind of man, a man's imagination of a woman getting dressed, not the way a woman would actually get dressed, um, <laughs> right. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, unless you're just naturally very elegant and sexy, doing all of your, like, putting on bras and stuff. Yeah, this is sort of like um, a lot of leaning without bending your knees, I think. <laughs> you know, it's like how she was getting dressed. Um, and, but then the next shot is like, they're getting ready for a party. He goes to the bathroom and she is wearing the anti-boner glasses and peeing, which I think is... Maybe the movie just being like, it's a clear juxtaposition of just like very sexy to more everyday, more practical. She's not embarrassed to pee in front of him because they're married. And, um, right, almost, almost pushing it into that kind of like they're bored of each other a little bit. Right. But other than that, we don't, it's very Kubrickian in that we don't really get a lot of interpersonal dynamics between them. They just kind of release the daughter to the babysitter and go, and then they're at this party, which I think we have a lot to say about. Yeah, and I was surprised. They have, they have like, an eight-year-old daughter or something, which I was kind of surprised about because it was like, oh, I thought this was, like, a movie all about, like, orgies and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, it's, like, very much, like, also them just having a kid. Well, we'll get into that later, but anyway. Right. Um. So, yeah, so they go to this party. That... I think this party is also one of the biggest problems the movie has. Yeah, the party is, right off the bat, like, the sexiest part of the whole movie, I think. Right, yeah, it's like, because it's like, 
I knowing that we have this big, like you know, masked sex orgy coming up from all the thing, I was just like watching this party. I was like, leave some horniness for like later in the movie. Like <laughs> right. you're spending it all right now. And it was also confusing, like, we get a little bit of character. Another confusing thing about Nicole Kidman's character is her two biggest scenes in the movie, one she's hammered drunk, and the other one she's, she's stoned. Su- super high, both of which she's talking this slowly for the whole scene. And yeah. she has a lot of monologues. <laughs> and Nicole Kidman's, like, a strong actor. Like, I, her trying yeah. to act drunk made me feel like she'd never been drunk before. It, it was like laughing gas. Like, it felt very much like you were listening to the director's note or something. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't seem... Like her, a natural performance for her? I, I mean, that, maybe that's just what I'm... Maybe that's my assumption that I'm making because it was so unpleasant to watch. It felt like such an odd choice that I was assuming it must have been the creative decision of, you know, the director or, you know, whoever's, like, baby that the movie was. Mm-hmm. I assume Kubrick's. Yeah. And, yeah, so and so ba- backing up. So they get to this party. They kind of have a glib interaction with the host of the party who's, like, a richie rich. Um, I think the only really interaction we get with her and Tom Cruise is that um, she goes, she looks a little annoyed and she goes, do you know anyone at this party? And he's like, no. After that, like he gets, they kind of get split up. Or... Well, she says, uh, like, I'll be right back. I have to go to the bathroom. And then they just show her not going to the bathroom, hanging out at the drinks table, slamming champagne. Right. And then he, completely unconcerned, immediately starts chatting up these two young girls. Right. So, and so she I gets hit like, on by some guy who looks like some Bella Lugosi motherfucker. Um, yeah. Starts hitting on her. And yeah. yeah. Um, so I am interpreting this all. And both of them seem totally un... What's the word I'm looking for? Unconcerned or unattached to each other. Um, yeah. Uh, both of them seem so like... Like, this is just the norm that the thing that I read it as is like, oh, this is like, this is what they do. Like, they're like an attractive couple and they go out and maybe they're swingers, you know, or like they go out and immediately split up and pick up different people at parties. And that's how they have fun. Right. So, and it's like, I think Nicole Kidman does a better job of like her hitting on, first of all, he's like much older than she is. And so her getting hit on, you feel very much that she's drunk and feels, um likes the attention and is just having fun has no real intention of following through with anything yeah he is talking to two like 26 year olds who are about leading him off getting are, her... yeah physically walking him out of the room and why this is a problem for the movie is it's like later tom cruise's wounded sexuality is the whole driving force and his horniness is his whole driving force which is like i kept wanting to be like just go back to that first party like everyone was <laughs> right. everyone was good to go at this party yeah so yeah just just to like give a talk i mean i guess we already gave the jacket copy but like as a, a brief synopsis of what the movie is theoretically about is tom cruise is uh gets in a fight with his wife and then wanders the streets of manhattan sexually frustrated trying to nail anything um and it's all about him just being like cock blocked and frustrated and that's kind of the whole thing that's the whole like plot of the movie and so then having this being the start it was like well none of that matches what just happened here you know like sex seems to be very easy for him yeah it seems very confident and very like right yeah like it's just falling all over him and like he had every intention of having sex with these and like when he's pulled away by his his rich friend his rich friend has like someone call him upstairs um he says to the two girls like we'll pick this up later or whatever so he seems like had every intention of doing something with them so it doesn't really make sense that he's sexually pent up or insecure 
Um, right. And it's, it's like, I think there, a lot of that is just the casting of Tom Cruise. Also, it's just like, I don't know what planet he's on sometimes, but I don't think he's concerned about getting laid by in any, you know, I just don't think it even, right. you know, like. It's like we were saying the last podcast with Clooney. It's like, you're just, Clooney's not going to Ahab and like Tom Cruise is not going to be a insecure right. person around right. sex. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it, just not going to happen. <laughs> it's just like, he seems, he kind of projects a thing of just like, if that's happened for him, it's fallen into his lap. And he was like, great. And they're like, <laughs> okay. Um, and it doesn't strike me as someone who's just like, like Nick Cage in adaptation, who's just like nervously hitting on the waitress at the diner, right, you know, like it doesn't. Right. And so like his character, which would actually like the nervously hitting on the waitress thing, seems like it would fit his character for the rest of the movie. Like that's kind of what they were going for maybe um so it's like i don't understand why they started him at this point right so he gets called upstairs his richie rich friend is um in the process of killing a sex worker <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't know why i'm laughing at that but yeah he's like it, it's also just the presentation of it is very much like we always make a joke of like whenever there's some sort of like gratuitous kind of misogynistic sexuality in a movie we're always just like you're telling me a man wrote this movie <laughs> um, yeah. so it was very much that where it's like he is has already gotten dressed is putting his suspenders back on she is half dead na fully naked fully naked just in the in like um and like in the middle of ODing. so um tom cruise is also i don't know if you've met i think you mentioned in the summary is a doctor which that comes up a lot in a funny way that we're gonna mention. <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> You'd be surprised. Uh, how much you'd be, yeah, it's like he—he's one of these guys who doesn't let you forget. It. And so, <laughs> um, so he gets called up there to deal with it. He's kind of like, as if he's some sort of fixer, but with no medical equipment. So this girl's or this young woman uh, is um, out of her mind on some sort of drugs. She did a speedball, which I—I I don't. Is that just a denomination of like cocaine? Like I don't understand. <laughs> I don't. They said in the movie that it was heroin mixed with cocaine, but I don't know okay. if it also refers to the amount. Or if it's just the combination. Okay. I'll, t I'll take it. I'll buy your speedball. <laughs> don't talk yourself out of a sale. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I have zero interest in either of this. Um, but so with no medical equipment, he's just, he's like, can you help her out? And he just kind of like talks her out of dying yeah. out of drugs. They show him do nothing. Not even like giving her water. He's just. He, he's like, hey, quit it. He's just like, hey, what's her name? Hey, Mandy. Mandy. Right. Mandy. Open your eyes. Mandy. Mandy. Open your eyes. And she just does. And right, he's like, yeah. she's going to be fine. She's just like, I just need five more minutes of dying of drugs. I just need five more minutes. He's like, no, the school bus is here. You're going to be late. <laughs> so that happens. And it's kind of like, I don't know, in terms of like the timestamp of the movie, it's sort of a save the cat moment um, that he... That, yeah, I, I do think that's what it, it's supposed to be, him being a noble person. But it's like, what is he going to do? Like, just walk, just be like, no thanks, pass, and like walk <laughs> out. Like, uh, and he also doesn't do anything. Doesn't do anything, really. So, um, so yeah, that happens, and uh, they go home. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. And... Oh, uh, there is a bit, the, and this is just a plot point, he, he sees at the party a, a guy who he went to medical school with who's now a pianist. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think that, so I think they go home and I feel like that's the night, I think they get, go home and then get high and then Nicole Kidman is like, I saw you talking to those girls. He's like, well, I saw you talking to that guy. And then Nicole Kidman goes on like the weirdest, slowest, longest argument where Which... she sounds crazy yeah she sounds like she sounds like de again like a man's imagination of a of a disturbed vexed 
spouse. Yeah. So, because it's like the, the, the jump in reasoning where it makes her seem like she is being completely unfair and it's just a really poorly written character is she's kind of going off about how this guy wanted to have sex with her. The Bella Lugosi. M or F her. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, if you will. If you will. Um, and he goes, I can see why. And then, uh, or like, I can't blame him or something of that, of that ilk. And then she, oh, get, yeah. she, he's she like, gets very upset by that. And she goes, wait, you're saying that he would only be interested in me because he wants to have sex with me? And it's just like, dude, you said that. Yeah, no, it's like, she said he wanted to have sex with me. And Tom Cruise was like, that makes sense because you're very beautiful. And then she's like, so you're saying he only talked to me because he wanted to have sex with me. And it's like, no, we were saying right. he only wants to have sex with you. Because you're beautiful. Yeah, it's like, I don't care if you're married, if you have a kid. It's just like, when someone takes that irrational of a turn in an argument, you gotta get your keys and go. That's my catchphrase. <laughs> Girl, get your keys and go. Um, so, but no, they have this conversation, which she sort of proceeds to just sort of, for no reason, sexually humiliate Tom Cruise. Yeah, and, and the whole the whole tone of the conversation is Tom Cruise is calm and normal and not raising his voice not emotionally upset at all and she is like hysterical and raving and doesn't make any sense and the register of the movie i think sort of slipped in and out of this sort of like banal banal <laughs> but this banal <laughs> style of like kubrick doing a fake documentary which i think is really effective in in other um movies of his but um to it being sort of like an expressionist stage play where people are kind of monologue, it's like yeah. interlaced like dialogue, but it's just people monologuing. Interlaced. Interlaced. I like how much we <laughs> reference Blade Runner 2049 without having, I don't even think of watching it all the way through. Um, I just like that scene where they say interlaced. Yeah. So it's just like, I think the part, <laughs> it is, it's been not, if that had been the whole movie, I would have been like, that was just a, a bam dinger. Like it was, uh, um, the part, the expressionist parts actually worked better for me, but this just one particular scene. I didn't follow even the emotional continuity of what was happening. Right. I think I think the um, the point of the scene, uh, like if you were writing a scene summary or something, I think the point is supposed to be they get into an argument based on the things that happened at the party. And over the course of that argument, he reveals that he's not worried about her being unfaithful. That offends her. And so she tells him an anecdote about this t one time where she thought about cheating on him, um, but didn't. And I will also say, so that that's the summary. I will say in the actual watching of the actual scene, I did not realize that she didn't. I thought she very explicitly said that she did sleep with this other guy and that Tom Cruise was just now finding out yeah, about this. It's... And it wasn't until I read the like summary of the movie after I finished watching it that I realized that they never actually, that she never actually did cheat on him. Right. I think it was, because it it's again, it's, it's very dreamy high kind of delivery of this monologue where i think where the confusion comes in is she's this naval officer she saw him and then she switches to talking about then what she and tom cruise did it's like and then we did this we made love we did this but the whole time i was thinking of the naval officer right but, i thought the we was her and the naval officer. right i did the exact same thing but and it's like only later i think like 20 minutes later did i realize that that hadn't happened but so yeah she basically says and i think there were moments in that speech that i did think we're good writing about the complexity of human emotion where we kind of put people in boxes and just be like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, not to like plug my own book, but like, <laughs> I, in like the animalcula I talk about, it's just like, 
you're kind of experiencing all emotions at once. And it's just like, it's almost like when you're experiencing grief, your own happiness still being there can kind of surprise you sometimes. I mean, that's, that's not true for everyone, obviously, but you know, but yeah, no, I, you have these discordant emotions that don't make sense. And I think she did a good job of articulating that in that speech. Right. And that's an, again, where like, I think that I, I think the scene as a summary, like if someone else had taken that summary and then written the actual words to it would be absolutely like complex and make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it worked in this specific the, movie. The movie I kept, or the, the word I kept using in my, in my head when describing this movie was over-themed. I think it's also like over-themed in the wrong way because it was like, it kept hitting horniness and sex the entire time. But I think for this speech to be really powerful, what you have to put before it is that we have to see Tom Cruise actively trying to tuck complexity under the carpet or brush it under the carpet, mm. which we don't really see. We just see them both being kind of bored. Yeah. Um, but Right. And so then she would be like, hey, don't try to simplify this. It's actually messy. Listen to how messy it is. Right. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like, oh, we're off to the races. This is an interesting thing. We've, we've kicked him out of his, his kind of happy village or whatever. Yeah. But so, yeah, this is the beat at which he gets kicked out of his happy village because immediately after she reveals this to him, before he even has a chance to say anything to her back about it, he gets called off by some patient has died. Mm -hmm. And so he must rush to their home in which their I don't understand that. And talk to the... Um, I don't know what everyone in that dynamic thinks a doctor is. Yeah. That the doctor rushes to the person after they've died quietly in their bed. It's like, right? So it was like the person died where there's nothing more that the doctor can do. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, I have to go right now. It's an emergency. Maybe he had to go collect a copay before they, <laughs> before they buried him, go through his pockets. And so he goes and runs to this house uh, where the um, guy who died's daughter is there. And mm -hmm. then the guy who died's daughter just starts kissing Tom Cruise. Yeah, we get the sense from their conversation that, and, that her father had a long sickness and he helped her. He helped both of them through it. And she kind of, I think what's in therapy is called like she's done transference. Like she's put all of her emotional security and happiness on Tom Cruise. But they don't make it clear what their dynamic is or how long they've known each other. And she just kisses him and he doesn't stop her. Right. Like he's not. He's not he, into it. He's but... not into it, but he's not stopping her either to the point where I was like, oh, this is. He just heard this thing about his wife's affair and now we're we're being revealed or it's being revealed to the audience that he's also been carrying on this affair like i i figured it meant oh you're gonna yeah I got over you. the course of the months that he's been treating this father he's been carrying on which we find affair. out is not the case he's just yeah yeah but it's like it was confusing it's not made clear until much later that that's yeah. not the case yeah it's a it's a i think and it's like that's the problem too with this movie line is it's trying to be an unsettling scene like i think her kissing him is supposed to be an unsettling moment and this actor is also putting out like level 10 like lady stealing a baby energy just kind of like yeah. very nervous raw nerve and um so we get the sense that he kind of i got the sense that he kind of feels sorry for her and that um he doesn't really he's not repulsed by her kiss or anything but he's kind of shocked by it and just kind of happens for a minute or not a minute but you know i'd say three seconds which is you know what three seconds is like a kiss minute <laughs> Um, and he's also like the only one at the house and like, it's all, it's very odd that he's there. It's very odd that he's alone with them. And then, then comes in another swinging dick. Uh, we got Greg from Darwin <laughs> Greg comes in. Greg. Which is just like, he's like, 
I shouldn't say this, but um, there are certain actors. <laughs> there are certain actors who, um, and I'll give an example of an actor I love, um, Paul F. Tompkins. For a lot of people, he ruined There Will Be Blood. Because they see Paul Tompkins as so contemporary that him being in There Will Be Blood just broke oh, like the surface tension for breaks them. Breaks the fourth wall for it them? It didn't. I was just like, that's Paul Tompkins, and I feel like I got my money's worth already. Like, um, But that, I think the Greg from Darman Greg kind of <laughs> broke the surface tension of Eyes Wide Shut for me. I was like, this is Greg from Darman Greg. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Anyway, Greg shows up. He doesn't do anything. But he's her... He's going to be... He's the fiancé of the daughter who's kissing fiance. Tom Cruise. Yeah. So that's like... It doesn't a, matter. It doesn't affect the plot. It doesn't really affect the plot. But as emotionally, it didn't seem Greg <laughs> had took an emotional toll. But, um, and I think, but I, actually he is good casting because he's supposed to be kind of like a, in this context, like a shabbier Tom Cruise. Like he's very clearly like the shadow Tom Cruise she's settling for. Which again is, is establishing Tom Cruise as like this cool, awesome alpha male, which runs counter to then the rest of the movie is supposed to be like him grappling with his insecurities right where it's like this is not the insecurity guy right right so um after that he randomly uh runs into no uh, yeah no i was just gonna say he doesn't he doesn't go home yeah he's just walking around like the village or whatever and he um i was just gonna check he it. bumps into a, a random sex worker oh yeah that just happens immediately afterwards okay yeah so he's just like walking on the sidewalk and some lady comes up to him and is like hey looking for a good time and he's like sure right and just follows her immediately into her apartment it's like and having lived in new york it's like, i feel like tom cruise the character he's playing would have been robbed so many times right um so he walks yeah just a complete lack of like who are you what are you, what is this thing like he could have been mugged right like so they kind of hang hang out and so yeah he gets he gets ready to start having sex with this person and then gets a call. Um, Is that his wife calls, right? Um, I think I would have thought it was the wife. But um, according to... Oh, no, it is uh, Alice. Okay, the wife's name is Alice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so his wife calls right when he's um, about to have sex with this girl. And he um, he tells her she's that he's still at the patient's house and that it's going to take a while. But then that, I guess that puts him off you know the, this, the encounter enough to where he then doesn't have sex with this person. I don't know if I mentioned this, but kind of it's very similar energy. And it's kind of equally engaging and equally stupid is um, After Hours with Martin Scorsese. I think that, or by Martin Scorsese. They both kind of reminded me of each other. They're kind of these New York shaggy dog stories. Yeah, it's very much like guy wanders around New York, meets a bunch of strange people, has a bunch of strange right. incidents happen. And there's just so much better problem solving that could have stepped in and, and stopped the movie from happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, I think, him leaving this young lady's apartment, I got, I started to feel like, okay, this is kind of like an after hours vibe. I can get into it. Right. So it's kind of like a, what is it, like a picaresque almost? Yeah, picaresque and also kind of like elevated. And it's just like, there's like parts to where it's like they're paper macheing like money onto him and stuff in after hours where it gets very like expressionist bordering on surreal. Yeah. Um, Which, yeah, I mean, definitely this Eyes Wide Shut gets, gets there a little bit in, in other ways. Yeah, which if you can't get your hands on... After Hours. I think they do a really succinct and successful parody of it in the second season of Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. It's like Beard After Hours. It's just a straight parody of uh, After Hours for some reason. Um, but so at this point, Tom Cruise is still like 
visibly concerned about this revelation that his wife maybe thought about cheating on him once. Uh, and it's like, yeah, we keep getting, buddy, you're walking out of a sex worker's house. You can't, like, you you no longer get to right. feel mad about. Yeah, that. you've now done the big whoopset. Like that's uh, yeah, you've now made it past. You've done more than your wife did now towards down the line of infidelity. Yeah, while he's like in cabs looking fierce in New York, we're just cutting to blue footage of Nicole Kidman and the sailor just kind of very rigidly pawing at each other. And I kept wanting to reassure him, being like, I wouldn't feel bad. They seem like they're terrible at having sex. Yeah, just just like a lot of, like, touching arms and yeah. things. It looked like a perfume commercial. Yeah. Um, it did not look sexy at all. But um, So he, he leaves this sex worker's apartment um, without having sex. Uh, and then instead, of, again, instead of going home or doing anything, he goes to a nightclub where his buddy yeah. is playing piano. I think, yeah. And his friend had invited him, said he's kind of like, is like the house band at this jazz bar in the village, which is also, there's a neon sign that says Sonata Jazz. And I'm mildly dys dyslexic. So I thought it said Santa Jazz when we <laughs> first in. And I was like, oh, I'm about to hear the splashiest rendition of Jingle Bells. Just like 40 BPM. You know, I was, I was into it. Um, but no, so he goes, he he, he kind of catches the end of this guy's set. They have a drink together. And then I'm like, we are so close to this boner party. I can feel it. I feel like also at this point, we're like an hour into the movie. I think that's fair. Um, so yeah, so the big reveal happens of, um, they kind of find out about their lives. The real content of the scene, I think it doesn't really matter. It, except for that he finds out about this party where this guy was hired to play as a pianist, where he's blindfolded and that he wants, um, the blindfold wasn't on so good and he saw everything. I like the way he describes it is like, there were these women there, man. And that's like all he says about it. Yeah. And somehow from this, Tom Cruise immediately knows that this means that it is a... A sex party. A, yeah, like a, an elaborate orgy. And he is just like, the women, I've never seen women like this anywhere. And it turns out when you get there, it's just like, they look just like the women in the first 90 minutes of the movie. But, yeah, except uh, like less attractive than Nicole Kidman naked, who we've already seen naked five times. Right, so it didn't, it doesn't make any sense. And... Yeah, well, also the lighting is very important. I was going to say, I was about to defend these ladies being like, they are just like being like hard light from above. Yeah. Direct, direct from above. Lots of like boobs casting awkward shadows onto stomachs. Yeah. It's just like a lot of like ribcage shadows that I didn't need to see. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, so he, um, Tom Cruise kind of like cajoles the guy into giving him the address and the password. Which again, if Tom Cruise's character is supposed to be at this moment real, reeling from a realization that his wife could have cheated on him like it doesn't he's just like hey sure there's a party i'll come yeah let me come i'm gonna come like, right is is like it doesn't even seem like he's doing it out of um like anger towards his wife it just seems like it's a thing that it just seems like he's completely forgotten that he has a wife and this is just he's just like a college kid and this is he'd be like oh you gotta get me to that yeah party. so it feels it feels very much like a romp it does not feel like his masculinity is on the line which is the only way this big of a move makes sense so he goes to a costume shop there's like some yeah the guy his friend tells him that like you have to in order to get into this party you have to ha have this password which he gives him and um you have to be wearing a costume and this starts one of my favorite i don't think this movie understands that it was a running joke but it was a running joke for us of this guy flashes the fact that he's a doctor as if he's an fbi <laughs> agent he like literally flashing his doctor badge 
constantly to be let into places after hours. Yeah, like if I... Such yeah. as a costume shop. <laughs> which doesn't make any which sense. Which is like, the do it's, you being a doctor doesn't have anything to do with... Like, the costume shop's not going to be like, oh my god, thank god, we're, we're having a medical emergency in here. <laughs> he keeps doing it to the point where if I were in the room, I would spit on him. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep telling everyone he's a doctor to get some sort of special treatment from them. <laughs> And so he ends up getting, it's kind of a weird back and forth with this guy, kind of... Also, the costume shop owner, as you pointed out, is oh. Boris the Bullet Dodger. Why do they call him the Bullet Dodger? He dodges bullets. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, so there's a back and forth where, um, again, and this is, I think, the movie being over-themed. While we're there, this guy finds his uh, disturbingly young wife, played by, like... No, daughter. That was his daughter? Yeah. Oh, oh. Well, that makes a little more sense in terms of their dynamic of, um, she's played by Lili Sobieski, who at this point looks like she's negative five years old. And, um, <laughs> that was really upsetting. And, um, he gets the costume and gets out of there, basically. Well, I mean, he finds her, like... With two men. Yeah, like, in some sort of sexual position, um, that is not made clear at all. Mm. That was your big complaint. You wanted it to be clear. You want crystal clarity. No, no. I, I, just, I just don't think you had finished the sentence. You were oh, like, yeah, yeah. He had a daughter and then he got out of there. Oh, I see. I was just glossing over. Yeah, he, <laughs> they find him, find her with two men and freaks out and Tom Cruise gets out of there with the costume. Yeah, right. And again, Lily Sobieski, even then, is like giving Tom Cruise the like, wouldn't anyone in the world do you kind of look? Oh, yeah. She like, she like sidles up to him. She's right. like, hey, hey, buddy. It's all... Odd. And it's like, okay, we're, anyway, so... But we're drawing so close to the... the we're finally getting so close to the meat of this movie, which is this orgy party. I asked for one thing in a movie like this, and that is a human sex table, and we've <laughs> never been closer. <laughs> so Tom Cruise takes a cab out into the depths of Long Island, it seems like. No, there's the famous advice of just act like you've been there before. I don't think you'd show up in a yellow cab. And then he asks the yellow cab to wait for him out front of this mansion. It's like, right. no, no. Right, yeah. So he's, and that's another thing too, where I think casting would have helped if he were kind of like older and more of like kind of a gregarious boop. I think that's what all makes sense. Yeah, where like he... Like, we don't buy that Tom Cruise would be that dumb to, like, not fit in like that. Oh, I have a, do you have that your phone? I have a casting yeah. replacement that would make this whole movie make sense and be kind of great. <laughs> well, not all of it, but Tom Wilkinson. Who's Tom Wilkinson? A bad picture of him. But he, what was he in? He was in the bedroom, which I don't think you liked. Um, sure didn't. This guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, where it's like, he's kind of like... What do I know him from? I, oh, maybe Rock and Roll? Yeah. If... Like, I'm just going to take the married couple from In the Bedroom. If it had been Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek in Tom Cruise and Nicole Gibbons roles, oh, this would totally have made sense. That would have been a really interesting movie. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, that guy, I think, would go to a sex party, and I'm guessing New Jersey, at like three in the morning. Yeah, and like, it, it does seem very much like, like, that would be the type of person who would be, who would need, need that. Right, Where like, absolutely. Tom Cruise does not ever need that he can go literally walk on a street corner and get sex thrown at right. him and not even in our reality in the movie's reality right. so it doesn't make sense they've already yeah. shown us several times happening um but no yeah that would be great if it was kind of like like an older married couple who um was in a more frustrating situation um had more like lifelong resentment built up right. or whatever and, and then being put in this weird yeah because it's again i think age plays an important 
part in it because it's like if Sissy Spacek is saying this to Tom Wilkinson it's like they're older then we get the sense that she's throwing 30 years away right whereas with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman it's like yeah I guess it's not gonna work out you know <laughs> yeah, like, like you guys should maybe get divorced you get to keep the wedding gifts if that's any consolation <laughs> like uh that's I think part of why it seems so odd that they had an eight-year-old kid right because it seems like they have been married for one year yeah it seems like like this couple but yeah, so that, I think, fixes a lot of what's going on here for me. So he, he, yeah. he gets into the party. He's got a mask and a cloak, so he's done his homework. Yeah, although he, there's a whole big thing about, like, you won't be let in through the door unless you're wearing your costume, which we were both like, I would be nervously putting on my costume <laughs> in the cab, yeah. being like, does this count? Because also he's, he's... I would have killed the cab driver. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, no one can know about this. Whereas, like, Tom Cruise is, like, making it real obvious to everyone that he showed up in a cab, has, like, his costume under his arm, and then is like... Hey, how does this work when he right. gets up to the front door? Like, he couldn't be uh, trying to fit in less. Right. And so we get in, and we kind of get, like, imagine the people, the neighbors in Rosemary's Baby throw sex party. That's kind of what we're dealing with. Yes. Very, very much a Rosemary's Baby vibe. It's also, like, the least fun orgy I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I was expecting this to be, like, a wild, crazy, fun time party. Uh, it is... A bunch of people standing motionless in black cloaks. And then... Oh, if you squint, it's Easter Sunday. (laughs) It's bananas. Yeah. Yeah. There's literally a guy wearing a a a robe. Thurible? What is it? A sensor? Sensor. That's right. A guy swinging a sensor uh, to like waft incense around. Like like you're in a Catholic church. And then there's um, just like 10 women randomly standing naked in a circle in the center of the room, just standing there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. Yeah, horrible lighting for them. And, um... Very hard, directly, <laughs> direct top, top-down lighting. I will say, as an aside, uh, the light, except for, I mean, the lighting in this movie is really pretty, actually. It's beautiful. Like, like when we get those, like, kind of New York blues and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, like, I was really noting that a the lot kind of the neon scenes, blues, I should say, but yeah. Yeah, a lot of the scenes are, like, really vividly shot. And so it must have been a purposeful choice to right. make this lighting look like this because so many other of the scenes in the movie are like really gorgeous. Right. And we also get kind of like from the ramifications of what happens here that this is sort of like a moral space. We get kind of get like, and this is like the kind of the expressionist register that works better for me that this is kind of like a hell. Yeah. It, you know, it does. It feels very like Dante's Inferno. Right. Kind of this. Where you're place. seeing, you're seeing sex as a, as a moral demonstration, almost, you know, yeah. of of it being done completely without humanity. Yeah, which I I do think this party is it is scary. Like it right. is it is a thing that um really does kind of fill you with dread, mm-hmm. and in, it, in a way that I think is is kind of fun. It's the movie working for me. It's yeah. like it's, this is where the movie is working well. They also do another thing, so it's like they kind of break up, and then the women in the circle kind of break up and start mask kissing the miming mask kissing with people yeah Uh, a lot of mask on mask kissing which i don't get (laughs) yeah and so like another thing that i uh, a woman kind of chooses him and they walk off and she's immediately i don't know why i thought this it was like odd because it doesn't really make any sense and maybe that's why it it was resonant um she's just like you have to get out of here you're in danger like you you can't fool them for much longer and i wanted to be like lady he hasn't been fooling anyone like this guy's the biggest (laughs) fucking boob at this party But yeah i think this is the part where i think this part really is interesting um because it's like it's a 
super creepy place and then she's like you need to get out of here they're on to you your life is in danger right. they also do a thing with like the, the the way her voice is brought in i think probably because she's wearing a mask so it's a practical thing it's kind of punched in mm. the way they did bane's voice in the dark knight and it's, <laughs> it's very it's very creepy uh the way it's kind of above it sits on top of all the other audio in a way that i liked it also, it's cl- it's clear that like she knows him from something, um, or you know because she, because she's being she's trying to be nice to him, and so the and since the only part of her that you can see is like I mean you can't see her face I mean you can just see her, na- mask, her naked yeah. body, um, and so I was desperately trying to like match boobs in my mind to be like <laughs> to wait save the cat moment was this I was like is this Nicole Kidman no that's not Nicole Kidman yeah. for sure because she has different boobs. <laughs> Like is this like tra- like of I feel all this of movie, the naked this, we've seen? I think this movie was good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means. I was trying to. I was confused. I still don't know this. This isn't the case. Is that the woman who he saved the? Yes. Oh, that makes sense. Plot wise. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted. To, I want until right now. I. I did not. I was not one hundred percent on that. It's not a very clearly explained movie. But yeah, we get that. We get that he. And that was kind of my guess because that's the only other like woman that we've. I figured it was either. So the girl who was ODing at the party at the very beginning that he saved her life somehow, or it was the sex worker from earlier that night that he was nice to. Right, right. I figured it was one of those two people. Right, which that would have implications if it was the latter. Um, so, um... Anyway, so he just, he just walks through, he walks through rooms for a while. This is, I commented that it, it made me think of exactly what I thought Sleep No More was like in which was like that <laughs> yeah for the uninitiated what, that's the uh the... it's like an interactive theater uh <laughs> version of Macbeth, i think that they were doing in a hotel in new york but they would like get in your fucking face right like where they... it was the whole thing of it was they purposely broke your party up when you came in and then there were all these different rooms on different floors where different actors were like acting out different parts of the movie and so it was very like surreal and interactive and trying to throw you off but it's like if you know the plot of Macbeth, wouldn't you be kind of I think it was like a a, a riff on it a, a retelling or mm. some, some sort of anyway th- this him wandering through the the houses in these mansions where various weird sex things were happening is exactly how I always envisioned sleep no more going in my head this is triggered a tangential anecdote can I say because uh, sure. I really like that I'm just uh, I've been I've been laughing on and off and on about you thinking that that's what sleep no more. <laughs> Like, that's why i never wanted to go <laughs> right i'm just yeah also it's really expensive yeah it's just like it i think you're right dude there's a there's a clear it's like both are kind of like a haunted house for people who went to college um <laughs> so, so um but this is just i was at costco today which i don't know if that's like a bad if that's like amazon like you can't is costco like publicly shamed or anything i've heard that they are treat their employees well oh good that's i'm pro labor that's all i need to but know. i have not i mean i've heard that from like one person on tiktok i have not actually googled it i i have that anecdote I, you only need two points to graph a line and i have that anecdote <laughs> here's the other anecdote i have is that the ceo threatened to kill someone who um tried to raise the price of one of their food combos because he didn't want them to raise the, 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 some famous food combo that only costs like a dollar or something. I don't know. But I should Google this. Cause... I think CEOs threatening to kill anyone is a point in the negative direction. No, if they're thre- if it's about raising the price of a food combo and their pro-labor, <laughs> then I'm just like, this is my company. <laughs> but anyway, so I was walking through Costco because I'm uh, one of these partners who helps. He goes to... Because he's about to become a father. Yeah. So, it's just like... so he goes to Costco. And if the Costco doesn't end up being bad, we need diapers. I don't know what to tell you. Like, uh... <laughs> so, but... um. This is not 
worth this amount of real estate. But like, I just noticed the Costco sample people. I was like, what does this remind me of? Um, they're so much like in their intonation and the way they deliver it. They're like NPCs in a video game. If you <laughs> if you walk like 15 feet past them, they'll just start saying like, like not to you, but just sort of like gluten free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just like uh, the same way, like in like a pirate video game, they'd be like, "You're another cup," and then it like it kind of fades out, and like, and a, then you walk past them again ten minutes later, and they're they like, "You're another cup." <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, Costco NPCs. Um, there you go. That's eyes wide shut. <laughs> Let's talk costume design. No, I don't know. Costume design. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a good segue. That's a good, much better segue. So yeah, so they're at the sex party. So um, um, so yeah, I think this is basically the part where Tom Cruise just gets called out right. by the people. Uh, and they're all, they call him into this big center room. And they're basically like. Generally, a genuinely spooky moment is when they're just like, your driver would like to speak with you. They're first of all, like come up to him, and, like one final, one little elbow from the guy's just like, "Are you the gentleman who took a cab <laughs> and left it idling outside yeah. of Spanish?" Like your driver like to speak to you, so he leads him to this room, and just everyone, all these cloaked figures, like it's got to be like seventy people, are just waiting at in least. a circle, circle, just looking at him. And they just all turn to stare at him, and they're all wearing masks, and it's and it's very like, oh shit. Yeah. So they ask him, they're like, "What's the password?" And he says it, and he goes, "That's the password for the." the gate yes what's the password for the house and he's like i've forgotten it and then that she's found out everyone just starts murmuring um yeah and then they then they're like take off your mask so he takes off his mask and um then they're like take off your clothes yeah and he's like what now and it's like it, that, that was the <laughs> point where where it's just like I don't know what's going to happen to him, but it's going to be bad. Yeah, like it, was, yeah. it was genuinely creepy um and you do it yeah. it, it gets very like cult vibes like right at this at this point you're like oh he's about to be like ritually murdered and then the strange lady who warned him she volunteers as, as tribute or something to save him which now that i'm i'm realizing that it's the first lady that's the only thing that makes sense um it's the lady that he talked out of an overdose um <laughs> which is like also still what, what is she i i mean like yes warn him but at a certain point, you warned him like six times and right. he didn't leave. It's like, this is on him now. Like, Absolutely. What is she gonna, she's going to go volunteer herself to be murdered for this stranger that she's met for 15 minutes? Because he didn't really even do anything for her. <laughs> it's, it's not like he like got checked her into rehab or anything. Like He just just was like, hey, he just kind of like hit her with a shoe shine rag and was just like, don't do more drugs. Yeah, and, and was like, you're going to be all right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, so he gets out of there. Yeah, so he gets let go. Right. And... And goes back home, I guess. He goes back home, puts his costume in a vault. Right, for some reason. So, oh, that is an interesting... They really made a big... They really made a ham sandwich out of him putting the costume in a vault, which I realize is creepy for later. Um, which I'll, I'll get into that later. Right. So yeah, we'll come back to that. So the next day, he's freaked out, I think, about what may have happened to the people he may have thrown under the bus. And at this point in the movie, from now on, at the beginning... We only saw Nicole Kidman being naked and sexy and drunk. From this point in the movie onwards, she's only... Marmed up. Marmed up. And always with her eight-year-old daughter next to her. Right. And she's kind of gone as a character. Yeah, I don't think she does anything else. I think she has one more meaningful scene where it's just kind of... Oh, so in the first... Her first big scene, she's drunk. Her second big scene, she's high. And her third big scene, she's half asleep. Yeah. So, oh, right. Is that when... Yeah, so... So he comes home from the party, 
and she's laughing in her sleep. Right. And he wakes her up and she immediately, this isn't the first interaction they've had since she drunkenly confessed to almost having an affair with uh, someone else. She says the most detailed description of this dream where she was just having sex with a bunch of people and there were a bunch of people watching them. And that it was also specifically that this sex was like directed at Tom Cruise and they were like laughing at him. Yeah. So and she I, like really went all in. It's like, I'm not you're not helping your situation yeah. here. If you're trying to not be in a fight with your husband. This is definitely, and it's like the movie is very dreamlike in terms of how it relates its scenes to one another. So I'm not sure that this scene is right after the party or if he has a day... I was just gonna. I was just gonna look that up because it's like he also from there on out. It kind of becomes like um, it almost starts to turn into like a kind of a seventies paranoia thriller of him trying to figure out what happened. Yeah, that is that happens. That's the next scene immediately after he okay. leaves the party. Great. So that that makes sense. Um, so that happens, and then the next day he's trying to piece together what may have happened to everyone involved, like the woman, his piano player friend. Yeah. So this is this was my favorite part of the movie is like he kind of like goes the paranoia like, thriller part. Yeah, it's it's very much paranoia thriller. He goes kind of private eye detective. Just flashes to... that that doctor's badge around all everywhere. Yeah. He's like to like people at servers at a diner, like a hotel clerk. He's like, you better tell me what you know. Flashes his <laughs> doctor's badge, and the like, guy's like, gladly. Here is all the details of all of this customer's <laughs> private life. Like, oh, you should have that waiting. Yeah, and um, so it was, it was good, kind of him figuring out with dread that um, that probably um, we find out that um. His piano player friend was basically roughed up and checked out of his hotel room forcibly with by two bigger guys. Yeah, because he they know he was like the leak or whatever the reason right. that Tom Cruise was there. Right. So um, we're not feeling good about that. And some guy is, is tailing him. Mm-hmm. We we like we notice that as he walks down the side the sidewalk, there's someone following him. At one point, he goes he goes back to the the mansion. And yeah, which is like, that would be the last place I would go. So he goes to the gate and like right away a car meets him and just hands him a letter with his, his full name on it. I was like, yeah, it's like a typed out letter with his name on it that's saying like, please desist your inquiries mm-hmm. or we will be forced to I used to do re- something. read submissions for a literary journal. I don't think I've ever seen worse letter formatting than this. So it was just like a space break, but with no line between the, like, it was like a, a return, but then with no space between the paragraphs. It was just absolute ratchet <laughs> formatting. Um, so that's who he's dealing with. I figured that was a plot point. That I was like, oh my god, that, that's how they space two paragraphs. <laughs> what are they going to do to him? <laughs> he, um... So yeah, at, at in this point, it's like, I'm like, oh, if the whole movie, if, if this... If this was 25 minutes into the movie... Then this would be great. I'd be like, oh, this is awesome. He's going to like... He was, he was just like this, this naive young person, um, who's then getting drawn into this world of like underground conspiracies and sex clubs and powerful people, uh, you know, and he's gonna like, whatever, root out the corruption. Um, so, so this is the part that I, but this is like an hour and a half into the movie. Right. Um, and spoiler alert doesn't go anywhere he doesn't do anything he doesn't do anything uh it's like he's not gonna do it he's uh i think and because it's like he's really just trying to soothe his own ego at this point like yeah is what i'm and like so after he gets the, the kind of scary letter from the gate he goes to a coffee shop i think i no, because this wasn't actually filmed in new york but it looked a lot like 
It did, place. yeah. Like it, one of those places, like the, kind of the West Village, that are like dark and like paintings and stuff. Yeah. So he goes and finds out that a, a former beauty queen. I know exactly open. what place. You're you know, about. yeah. Was it called like Caravaggio's? I don't know. Was it? I I want to say it was Cafe Dante, but I don't think it Cafe was. Dante, yeah. I think it was just maybe nearby. I think it had paintings that looked like they could have been smoke damaged Caravaggio's. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it looked like that place, and so he finds this article saying this lady died he i don't know how connects it to maybe oh because he knew her name mandy right yeah so he yeah he so he's he's like uh i know what i do i go to the coroner's office and (laughs) demand to be uh to view the body of this stranger and if you think he didn't use his doctor's badge to get back i want to laugh in your face right now of course he used it the coroner was just like come right on in buddy i'm (laughs) not even gonna ask who you are you want to see any other dead people sure here's all the dead people yeah no protocols and yeah so one more look at this naked lady yeah, confirmed from the boob pattern that right. it, was the, it was the naked lady from the party. Julia was just like taking tracings <laughs> on the television. Was their only identifying marks. So we get, I don't know how clear they are about it, but uh, we kind of piece together that this is the lady from the party that helped him. And now she was like murdered for, like that Helping was, her, him, that was yeah. her penance or whatever for for getting him out of there oh and then then there's like leaving the hospital there's a there's a kind of a spree that i think is unbelievable where he's trying to get laid again yeah so he goes he just immediately goes from the coroner's office wait no no the coroner's office is is at is immediately after this Mm. he goes immediately from the letter right to his uh new sex worker friend's apartment oh yeah he brought her like a pastry or something yeah. But it's such a, I don't know, it's such an honor student move. And this is, it's also like, um, we're now into the paranoia thriller private eye investigation part, and he just like beelines to the sex worker's apartment. It's like, well, that, well, you're supposed to be yeah. researching these bad guys. What is this gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> like, so why like, is this part of your research? But, and it's like, I don't. I don't like to give this advice to people I've just met, but I wanted to tell this guy, like, you just really need to masturbate. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I know it would solve all of these problems right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, before he does that, actually, he calls the the da- the dead guy's daughter from earlier in the movie. Oh, yeah, because he's going to try to hook up with her. But He but, calls her first. But who answers? Greg. <laughs> Greg. <laughs> Greg. With his wall of anti-sex energy. <laughs> he's always there when you need him. Um... So then, so then he goes immediately to the sex worker's apartment where she's not there, but her roommate is. And so he's like, okay. And he just starts like undressing the roommate and the roommate goes along with it. She's like, she seems like she's like, okay. Like she's been like as flirty, as weirdly ambiently flirty as the first lady. A lot of ambiently flirty, a lot of close talking in this whole movie. They're, they're, they're having a whole conversation where their mouths are like an inch apart. Yeah. Which again, like, this... at this point, you've already cheated. Like, this is cheating. Right, absolutely. So, um, but then she tells him to, and, like, so she seems really into it, but then she's like, sit down. She's like mid-flirting, where they're like making out and stuff, and she's like, but I gotta, I just gotta, you know, we should really stop for a second, because I gotta tell you this one thing. And then, yeah, she tells him that um, the young woman he was there with last night, I don't know if she thinks that they had sex or not, um, but... um. She tells him that she, the lady from the previous night, has recently gotten a uh, blood test back and that she's 
HIV positive, which is... Yeah, so then, um, then Tom Cruise is just like, oh, I guess I'll leave then. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what an odd yeah, it's just scene. A... It's like, first of all, he went there specifically to cheat on his wife. Mm-hmm. Then was like, totally cool with just sleeping with this random other stranger yeah, who so was there. And then... I didn't, and it's like, hey, I, I wasn't crazy about this movie. I, didn't, I felt like it didn't have the bandwidth to be... I don't know. It was Using like, that as why... a plot point, like yeah, it was like it was that only used as like a means of sexually frustrating him. Was it the only right that reason that that was? Were you because it's like if they were up? just using it as another glass of cold water to get him to not do this thing he clearly wants to do, then that's way too much. Like there could have been a thousand other things. Yeah, they could have chosen for if that. if they were trying to be like some sort of weird philosophical dilemma of just like if i had gotten what i wanted then i would have died or then it's just like what are you saying yeah it's like i don't it's like did you not know that was a possibility in the first place like what i don't know so and if it's just yeah the more we talk about it the more i get the feeling that it's just a momentary blocking mechanism and that's just like using way too much for way too little yeah and it's also like he wasn't even, he was about to have sex with the roommate. Right. Who was not HIV positive. So it's, right. it almost doesn't actually have any bearing on the current situation. So then I think he goes home briefly and then he gets a call from his, his Richie rich friend from the party, right? Well, right after that, um, then he sees the news about Mandy's death. Oh, that's when he, that happens. Then he goes to the coroner's office. Um, but yeah, then he gets called by his Richie Rich friend f- who threw the party at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so then we get kind of like, which is like, again, I want to say like this movie has been working for me when it gets into the, its, its weird, ex- surreally expressionist zones of not really seeming realistic, but seeing elevated and about kind of themes of sexuality, I think is when it's interesting. But then this showdown with with the friend... Um, we get the idea that the friend has an ulterior motive for being there. And this is when we get sort of like a Raymond Chandler-esque rundown of an explanation of the plot. Of like very fact-based explanations for everything that's like, happened to Tom Like this is literally Cruise. everything that happened. It was very much like the scene in the end of a James Bond movie where the bad guy spells out his nefarious plan right before right. he's killed. Which I think is fine. Like people make fun of that a lot. I think it's fine in like a thriller or something, but this is not that. Like, but it was... it was supposed to be such like a surreal, creepy, right. off-putting, unsettling movie that to then be like, I, the guy being like, I am part of a secret society. <laughs> yeah. It is me and several other rich men who kind of run the city. We meet every Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of like, the thing, too, is um, if you're going to go that route, too, it kind of has to be something surprising. And it's kind of what you would have suspected. It just kind of confirms a lot of your suspicions. He also says that the whole thing was fake. Right. I mean, that the whole thing was not not serious. No one was ever in any danger. Mandy wasn't killed. She just randomly OD'd. The, fr- the piano friend... Boy, it was just kind of roughed up and put on an airplane back to Seattle. Yeah, it wasn't... wasn't in any harm's way or anything. Which is, that's maybe the only interesting thing going on in the speech, is it's not clear how much this guy is being frank with Tom Cruise or how much he's just trying to cover his ass and get him to... But while it kind of adds confusion, it also kind of deflates all the tension. Because that right. was where all the tension was, like, there's this, like, this huge conspiracy where, like, you don't know who's a part of it. And this guy's just being like, no, it's not a conspiracy. Right. No one's that powerful. His motivations in the scene don't make sense because it's sort of like... It is in his best interest for Tom Cruise to think that he needs to shut the fuck up about this yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and also another thing that fights his explanation is the thing I was mentioning earlier about the, the safe. 
He puts the costume, when he gets back, in a safe. When he goes to return it to the costume shop, the mask is missing. Um, so he's like, I must have misplaced it. When he gets back after the, the meeting with the friend's house, the mask is sitting on his pillow next to Nicole Kidman. So I think the implication we're supposed to get there is that this all-powerful corporation, or, you know, evil organization, was able to access his house, his vault, and put the mask there without him or Nicole Kidman knowing. Because oh. Tom Cruise loses it when he sees the mask. Yeah, like, like has a meltdown. Right. Um, I... How did the, am I interpreting it differently from you? Yes, but that's because nothing in this movie is makes any sense. Um, I think that makes more sense. But like, what I saw it as, which is the more plausible reality in this scenario, if you you go home and you put your stuff away, and then later you find your wife holding one of the things, it's like, oh, his wife found it. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. So yeah. I thought it was like. He put he put the stuff in, away in a vault that the two of them share because they live together and are married, and she noticed he was acting weird, saw it, got the mask out to confront him about it, to be like, "What's going on?" and then fell asleep, and then he came home and saw her next to the mask. Mm-hmm. So that's all. I mean, that's all that's like all that's on the screen is like he comes home from this meeting and there is. His wife's asleep in bed and the mask is next to her. Right. So if they try, we're trying to create like a, um, an image that made a complex situation immediately cleared and gave us a sense of doom in seeing it, it didn't really work for me. Right. Even though after thinking about it for a while, I came up with my explanation. I think if your explanation was the case, then that would be very, right. very cre- terrifying, creepy. Because the solution then is to wake her up and be like, I'm going to tell you everything. And then at least this movie has the, 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 understanding to not repeat all this information that we then cut to Nicole Kidman looking furious and, and woken up and like shit having now known everything. Yeah. So then um, basically we're in the home stretch. We're almost out of eyes wide shut. Um, <laughs> where then she's just like, all right. There's, I think there's only one scene left. Yeah. Where they just take their daughter Christmas shopping and they're kind of not talking. And then uh, do you she to... goes, there's something, there is something that we need to do. And there's, there's, she kind of forgives him basically. There's yes. There's some, some bit about where like, he kind of apologizes and she says something like, no, the only important thing is the fact that we've managed to, like, make it through all this together. Or, like, you know, like, basically just yeah. being like, I don't care what you did. The important thing is that we're still married. Yeah. Which is like, okay, he did a lot of stuff, though, that you should maybe talk about. Um, and then she says, but there is one thing that we needed to do as soon as possible. He's like, what's that? She's like, Fuck. Yeah, she says, fuck. She and says it like that, cut, too. Cut to credits. She makes a real, like, Mountain Dew face. And she says, like, ugh. <laughs> like, she's just playing, like, a really hard part on a guitar. Ugh. No, she says it normal. Uh, well, she says it in a flat, Kubrickian way. But it's really interesting. I'm thinking now, too. Which, that makes me think the whole thing is basically this, like, frustrated sexual odyssey. Where, like, it's just, like, he is Odysseus trying to get laid. And he's right. just, he's going to... 13 different places trying to get laid and it keeps not working and not working not working not working and finally he's back home and he's gonna sleep with his wife i think which is I, like i guess withdrawing my earlier suggestion for with tom wilkinson and sissy spacek spacek let's just put the benny hill theme underneath What's the benny hill theme that's like man no wait no i have no idea what you're saying it's if you knew what the benny hill theme is it'd be really fun I'll I'm, find I'm imagining like the the song that plays in simpsons when people start chasing each other down a country road Maybe it is exactly what we're both doing. We should file a claim. <laughs> it's this. This <laughs> it's is good. it. 
Don't worry, I'm gonna skip an ad soon. Two ads. You can't skip this one. No, you can. What is it? All right. So, what did you want to put that behind? The whole movie. <laughs> and we just like speed it up so everything's happening in like one and a half. Oh feet. yeah, absolutely. People are just like throwing a couple of banana peels. Tom Cruise chases a bunch of masked people into a door, and then they chase him out, and he's wearing a mask, and they're naked. You know. <laughs> Yeah. And he's chasing, he's wagging their batons. <laughs> um, also, here's another scene that we forgot. I don't remember where this went in the actual movie, probably early-ish. But there was, there's a really weird scene um, where he's wandering around the streets and um, a bunch of like frat boys wearing hoodies. Oh yeah, just like. Who look like people who have never stepped foot in Manhattan. Just use a bunch of like. Just, sexual slurs and just call him a bunch of homophobic slurs and push him into a car and he looks terrified and which doesn't... that scans for like the tom wilkinson version right where he's like a sad sack who needs to get laid where it 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 was so like discordant with everything else that was happening around it and with tom cruise's character in general and it was also just like a weird like that's the type of interaction that would happen like at a frat party in like right that seems the like middle of nowhere. a good time to point out that this is very much fake New York. Yeah. Like, this is not actually filmed in New York. It's like a weird kind of fantasy dreamscape of New York. Yeah, you want to see where it was filmed? Yeah, because it did, a, I mean, it did a good job of, it really looked like New York. But so you pointed out that there's not that many, like, T that, intersections. That was the main thing that kept throwing me, because they, they did use a lot of um, establishing shots of actual New York. And then when they, so there'd be, like, a real shot, and they'd cut to, like, the sidewalk scene. And I feel like the sidewalk scenes looked pretty realistic, except that there were all these T-junctions, which there's no... Like, streets don't dead end in New York. Every, right. like, every single one of them goes through, unless you're in the West Village. And then they get all curvy and weird. It's, it's, oh. says, it says parts of it were filmed in New York. Oh, good. That makes sense. I was like... Because I was stressing me out, like, how did they make that street look that much like New York? But it could be... I wonder if that was, like, just a second unit just filling, like... Right, just for the, in, just for the establishing shots. Yeah, they say a lot of, like, the Greenwich Village Street was London. Mm -hmm. That's an easy swap for, I think, like, the older New York. Yeah, the Greenwich Village Streets were all constructed in a studio or faked in corners of London. Just, just drug Kubrick and put him on an airplane. <laughs> just, it just looks like just the exterior shots were were actual New York. Nice. So, yeah, so, and that, I mean... Uh, so it's like, I feel like it was both kind of like physically and culturally unaware of New York at the, to like. Yeah, it just felt very like, what is happening? Right. It's like. Like it didn't read as realistic in any way. Right. So I wasn't really sure what he was doing. And it was also for. confusing, I think, too, because it's like, that's also fine if you're just going completely art house weird high register. But then it was like the things like the Raymond Chandler speech and also just like other things that like felt like it was trying to ground itself and be a thriller. And my other big complaint is that Nicole Kidman just kind of disappears as a character. Like Yeah. So she's like asleep for the whole she she has those two scenes at the beginning, at the very beginning, and then she's asleep for, uh for the rest of the right. <laughs> rest of her in one like, way or dialogue. the other. She just like switched herself off. But yeah, um so yeah that is eyes wide shut. What do you think? What how many what percentage of up thumbs would you give this? <laughs> I thought we weren't allowed to use up thumbs. I I think we're refracting it through a percentage, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> How many eyes wide open would you give this? 
<laughs> I would give it a quarter of an eye. Yeah, I think, I think because Kubrick's work has meant a lot to me, and I'm glad that we have, like, if I had to choose between this film not existing and it existing, I would choose for it to exist. It's like one last glimpse into a really good filmmaker's thought process. And it's just like, but it's also kind of like, I don't know, I didn't, it's just not, it's just so many silly, weird mistakes. It's, I don't know. I, was... I don't know if it's discouraging or encouraging to, <laughs> the, the, like that someone who made things that I think are in their way perfect um, could make something that I think is so, well, he was running across the street to step on brakes. <laughs> um, I will say that after seeing this movie, I now feel like I understand other movies referencing it better. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the one I was talking about? I've already forgotten. What... Anyway, I feel I feel like this was such a. Um... Is it, are you talking about one of those things that like this is how I felt about Full Metal Jacket, where the the boot camp training scene had been so parodied that by the time I saw um, Full Metal Jacket, it almost seemed weird because it was so it was like all the serious stuff comprised of just parody material. Yes, I think I think that's ex- I feel like this this movie seemingly described what a fancy orgy looked like or was supposed to look like. And so now the depictions of creepy are all yeah, yeah. creepy cult like but yeah, so it, it definitely seemed like oh, this was like a seminal work in the field of orgy set design. I guess. And right. so now now that you... Now there are, like, other movies that came after it that I think did it better, but are clearly referencing this or kind of using it as a baseline of, like, what is normal. And so I, I do think that was interesting to have seen this to kind of put those other things, put all, like, the pieces together. But, uh, but no, but you're right. This is very much like Meryl Streep's speech about the color blue and the devil wears Prada or whatever, which is like... It's, for a lot of people, they're just like, oh, yeah, no, you show an orgy in a movie, so this is obvious you do this. But it was not obvious before this movie that yeah. you would make those choices. So that's interesting. I don't know if that's worth the movie, the movie existing. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It was I, interesting. It's, it's, and I think it's like, it falls into, I feel oh, the wait, same here's way. Another, here's another scene that I could not piece together at all that maybe you can mm-hmm. explain to me, is he goes back to return the costume... And the last we've seen of this costume shop owner is that he is, that he's murderously angry at these men who were maybe sleeping with his teenage daughter, who's like very young. Then he, when he goes to return the costume, they're all best friends. Right. And even Tom Cruise is like, what's happening here? <laughs> and it's like, he kind of teased it up, the explanation too. I like the register. It felt like a Monty Python sketch where he's like, <laughs> did. Mr. So-and-so. Uh, you were very angry at those men last night. Now you seem to be fine. And uh, just that tone, it felt very much like John Cleese trying to keep it together in a sketch. But um, but yeah, the guys just sort of like, we came up to an understanding. I think like in terms of the movie being over-themed, I think it was part, another serving of like, to Tom Cruise that like, human sexuality is so bananas and you're so basic and you're never going to get it. Is that the only thing I could take is why it was... I can't, but he seems to, like, Tom Cruise did not seem to be basic in this movie when it came to sexuality. I think compared to these tickle and slappers, I don't know. <laughs> but then why was the dad so mad at them the night before if they're all Yeah, I think, cool I feel like that was, and this is why a movie like this is trouble. I think that was trying to just 
be weird and catch us off guard that was trying to like give us a foot which is like if you have a thriller where 80 percent of it's making sense those flourishes are like intoxicating yeah where but, it's just like here's just like another anecdote in the world of like of weird sex pe- people do weird sex stuff and you're not having any of it <laughs> and like that's a, you raise another good point too of like the the clerk at the hotel he talks to is immediately super into him yeah is very flirty and so it's like you just get this idea that the kind of like I don't know, there's all these sort of odd sexual wormholes that are opening up all around Tom Cruise, and he's just at a loss. And then when he tries to walk through them, he walks through the wrong one. Yeah. Like, it seems to be kind of, like, the best I can sum up what his what his Lucy and the football is for this movie. And again, I think, I think seeing the... If you were to talk about a plot summary of this movie, of, like, a man who is having a fight with his wife, then goes on this... Then goes on this, um odyssey of sorts through you know like the seedy underbelly of new york at night where he sees all these different weird sex wormholes that movie Um, sounds kind of fun that's i i can absolutely see that i think that makes total sense i can totally see that i just don't think that they like really did that here right i think they they like had certain scenes that would fit in that movie but like they didn't string together into any meaning Right. Yeah. No, I think I agree. I'm, I'm still kind of glad it existed. I think there's some beautiful images in it and some really weird moments. Um, but yeah, I it's one of the things I don't really... I'm never going to watch it again, for sure. For sure. And also, like, we were so excited to do this podcast. We're like, we're going to watch the movie. We're going to do the podcast right after. And this <laughs> movie so yeah took all the energy out of the entire room. It's like three hours and then we're so tired and confused afterwards that we just haven't this this is now a week after we've watched it because it was such a buzzkill yeah and it's like it's really one of those movies that makes you realize there's a difference between sexy and sex preoccupied this movie (laughs) is sex preoccupied um so yeah i i think it's it's a no for me but um but yeah it depends in terms of the as I see the goal of this podcast, if you are trying to decide whether you want to watch this movie or not, then it's like, if you're in, if you, if you're feeling just like a weird, surreal, kind of arty, kind of sexy movie, then like, maybe this would be a fun watch. It's weirdly tonally, I think a good, a good match with a lot of, of those kind of 70 supernatural thrillers we like, like Rosemary's Babies. Rosemary's Baby. Well, Rosemary's Babies would have been the greatest sequel. Aw. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. That's like um, people lament um, how the sequel to Now You See Me is called Now You See Me Too. Um, instead of Now You Don't. Oh, yeah. I bet that would have been hard marketing. Yeah. 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 Marketers run the world. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, where there's equal parts of genuinely creepy stuff and stuff that just seems almost embarrassingly silly. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so... I would say if you're in for a... If you're looking for a upbeat or or action-forward movie, this is not the one for you. It is all, like, molasses slow. Right, right. And it's even it's not even, like, um, if you're feeling, like, sexy. Oh, yeah, there's no sex. It's about exploring that sex as an idea, not to make you feel sexy. Yeah. Which is... I, I don't think that that's a criticism of this movie. That's just a... Just not what it's trying to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I would say if you're more... I'm like, I kind of love just turning over rocks 
with the, like so it's like i think for me this was a win and it's like this movie was exactly as weird as i hoped it would be it was actually it was weirder and creepier than i and more surreal than i thought it was going to be yeah yeah so i'm i am pro it existing i'm i'm it's not i wouldn't tell anyone to go watch it really and yeah. interpersonally on a podcast i'm gonna be like yeah go to it but, <laughs> um quick kubrick game um because i don't think you think of this movie as being by him but there's a kubrick movie you like a lot oh right you said that and i have can you remember what it is no i have no idea we might have to do some guesses my i basically which is odd because for me it's his it's the one i don't like and it's a little too hardcore for me oh a clockwork orange yeah yeah right i love the clockwork orange yeah the the sexual violence in that movie just it's like it really upsets me to the point where i can't really unsettling i i think it's in a similar way where it's trying it's trying to be unsettling it's not it's not it's not saying that that's good at all. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that is really interesting because I... But you like the rawness of it, right? Or the you like how angry the movie is? Or what do you, what do you like about it? I think the thing that I remember liking um, is like the... Um, so the main character is in A Clockwork Orange is like objectively a monster. You know, and like he's supposed to be. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. the point. It's like you're following around... This group of degenerates who are doing unspeakable crimes, um, which that part I don't like so much. Um, but then I think the part that made it really interesting to me was the scene at the end where he, the main character is then put through such torment, um, especially because like we know it, it's been made clear over the course of the movie how much he loves, is it Beethoven? Yeah, yeah. And then... Then put through not just physical but mental torment to where now he can't listen to that anymore. And it, um, to the point where it makes you feel bad for him, mm-hmm. which I think that was like the part that was interesting to me that you can take uh, a character that was so absolutely vile and, and then walk put, it back, yeah, yeah, walk it back to a point where. You're now sympathizing with him and being like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, I hope he gets out of this. We're like, so I think that was the part. So it's like interesting character exercise and like texture and uh, an unlikable character. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think it was really interesting, like character study of an unlikable character, almost kind of like, this is a weird comparison, not a good one, but like the Steve Jobs um, movie. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Where like, he's. I'm sure the people in Steve Jobs' life would be like, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. Right. I mean, the whole point of that that movie is that is to be like, this was a bad person, like objectively a bad person, but we're going to portray him in a light mm-hmm. that makes you sympathize with him. I think this movie could be... kind of puts it in a more gray area than you might have thought it was. There's um, a little flourish of this at the end of No Country for Old Men, which, spoiler alert, if you where it's like... Anton Chigurh, after killing the sweet wife lady who hasn't really done anything wrong, he just gets in a car accident and breaks his arm, and he's, he's relying on young children. Like, you don't feel sorry for him, but it is a nice flourish of that that human vulnerability in someone who's been a monster. Right, where it kind of, it pushes it back into a bit of a gray area instead of just like, here's a monster being a monster, yeah. and here's a good guy being a good guy. Right, because it's like, otherwise it just would have been, that character would have been like this sort of like tarantino king of the jungle type character that like frat guys would have been like yeah but like there's something really i think like a they first of all they give him that haircut which i think is a load-bearing haircut (laughs) 
Like, they knew, like, we have to keep this person from being seen as cool by college kids. I think you're absolutely right. But then, and like, that moment, too, of just him having to, like, buy a shirt off of a little kid is, uh... Right. It's a It's, like, it's a humiliating moment. in a in a interesting way. Right. Um, I think another thing about Clockwork Orange is I think the whole thing is so stage play theatrical. Like... Oh, so yeah. so unrealistic that the the scenes of terrible violence didn't read as actual violence to me. Mm-hmm. Like they, it, the whole thing almost reads as like here is a farce or like right. here is a parody of of violence. Whereas whereas in maybe Eyes Wide Shut is a little bit more like sometimes it's realistic, sometimes it's stage play, and you can't really tell what world you're in. Right. Yeah. So it's like that would be more unsettling. But yeah, I just thought it was an interesting thing to talk about. So, um, yeah, so Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. We Eyes did Wide it, Shut. We did it. We got through it. Now you don't have to watch it. I, this podcast, if it's the same runtime as the movie, I'll feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll cut it down. Um, do we have any other life updates that we should share? I don't share? think so. Do you want to, we could play a game or something? Do you want to do like a, a movie guessing game? Oh, wait, no. We, we have to list works, horny works of art that we like. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Let me see if I can do it. I just extemporaneous because I have not thought about it. All right. Um, let me think. Well, let, let's, we can edit it. Let's take five minutes to think of horny works of art that we like. Um, I can't think of any, and I'm sure there are some. You know. Well, yeah. Let's talk about here. Let me pitch some to you. Okay. Here's one, and this became interesting the more I thought about it. Where it's just kind of like how I'm thinking of the word horny in this context is sort of like there are plenty of movies where it's like the goal is to have sex. But they're not really horny movies. Like, super bad. Is oh, like, right. That's not. Whereas, like, the, the experience isn't to be horny, which is, like, it right. isn't That's about like that. the superficial plot arc, Right. But it's not, not what the meaning of the movie is. Right. It's like saying, that'd be like saying that, like, a heist movie is about economics. Or it's <laughs> right. like, no, it's like money is involved, but it's not. So it's a movie where that actually wants you to feel horny in some way as part of the story um, is different. And so here's some examples I can think of. One I actually love. It's one of my favorite movies is um, Black Swan. Oh, right. It's, yeah. it's a very, it's like a. You're right. It is very like erotic. Right. Like, and it's like as sincerely and as non-exploitively, like it's definitely part of the story. Yeah. In a way that I think is important and relevant. And I it's think. a big part. And it's like really, really linked with the character, the main character's character mm-hmm. and, and stuff. Yeah, that's a great one. So that's a great horny... This is not... And part of it is that the horniness is not directed at my sexuality, really. But it, it, I think it's an undeniably fine and horny film, uh, Interview with a Vampire. Is it Interview or Interviews with a Vampire? Interview. Interview. Interview with a Vampire. Just, it's just the one interview, actually. <laughs> that's good. Um, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like we do that joke on every podcast. <laughs> it's just the one. It's the one podcast, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a good movie, and I think it's horny. But yeah, it's like, I don't know if that movie is... I don't know if it's that the movie is trying to make you horny over the course of watching it versus just some people like vampires and Mm. also Brad Pitt's in it, you know? Like, I don't know if it's Oh, if the fans were just kind of projecting their hopeful horniness onto it? Right, I don't know if it's a plot thing of the actual movie or if it's more like the character design. That's fair. That's fair. No, yeah, withdrawn. But it's been a while since I've seen it also, so... Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Swingers. Is that a horny movie? I was just trying to think of that, because it's kind of in the Superbed camp of it's like... Right, like, 
I, uh, this... again, it's been a while, but it seems more like it's like down and outs in, in LA right. hanging out. More I, th so. I think there's something, I don't know, there's a sort of like, and again, it's terrible style. It's like LA guys in the nineties. They're all dressed like they're, like their suits go down to here. Yeah. And they're all like auditioning to be on Drew Carey. Like, uh, like they have like zoot suits and bowling shirts and it's terrible. Um, and I'm sure the politics of that movie are terrible. I haven't watched, but anyway, but like, there's just something like, and this has been often parodied, but like, I don't know, the B12 shot that you get as an insecure guy being vicariously encouraged by young Vince Vaughn, there's a horniness to it that I, I, I can't deny. <laughs> it's like, it's a movie that wants you to go out and be horny. Like it's, even though oh, it doesn't really... It's, it's an inspiring that inside of you. Right, absolutely. Not, not, making, not making you feel it as a result of the movie, but like kindling the spark within yourself right, absolutely and that's why this horny issue is, a, is very slippery <laughs> that's why but um yeah so i'm trying to think of other films because it's like because almost like the films that go at it right like a bull i have no no interest in well i was gonna say what about this is maybe a maybe a direct at the mark but also still a great movie is Itu mama tambien Yo, that's true. Like, very sexy. Very, very sexy. Yeah. Um, and also, like, a good, arty movie. Right. Yeah, they're very... And the more I'm realizing, too, is, like, there's very few, like, sex comedies that are actually horny, which is a deficit. Oh, right. It's all, like, just raunchy, right. gross-out. And sex is never... Sex is usually... Yeah, right. It's a gross-out, raunchy. It's never, like, being sought after for the fact that... It, it is. It's wonderful. It's great. It's right, which I feel like that's that's more like Itumama Tambien is doing that, where it's sort of like mm -hmm. it's almost like the um, I don't know, like the esoteric poetryness mm -hmm. of oh, going a different way with it. And I, but I think this is undeniably a horny movie, um, even though it goes in a terrible way with it. Um, terrible because it's a crime movie in the bedroom. You reference that movie so often. <laughs> It's based on a... And I know we've seen it probably in the last five years. I couldn't tell you a single scene of that movie. Well, let me give you one little detail about it. The movie's horny. <laughs> Does it all take place in a bedroom? That's the It's hint. just a bunch of sad Boston people, isn't it? And then, like, Marissa Tomei. And, like, there's kind of, like, a... I don't know. I literally don't remember the plot of this yeah. movie. You have to... No, I, I may be <laughs> overestimating how horny that movie is, but I feel like it's very, it's very tense sexy. So you'll have to tell me the plot of this movie if you want to talk about it more. Otherwise, no, no, no. I'm just going to die in my head. <laughs> no, it's like Tom Wilkinson has a young son who he's kind of encouraged to start dating an older woman, Marissa Tomei, who's very like kind of like who the mom doesn't approve of because she's just like a sex pot. Um, so that part is really sexy. And like that relationship, um, she has like a volatile ex, ex who ends up coming to the house, killing the son. And so mm. the whole... Um, right. That's where the sadness comes in. So it's really about the Tom Wilkinson <laughs> and Sissy Spacek. Um, this whole thing, and she never really approved of the relationship, which he encouraged his their kid, kid to do. So it brings up all these resentments and all this kind of like unlived life between them, yeah. which I I'm call... I'm going to say, not a horny movie. <laughs> I'm going to say, the first 15 minutes of it, I'd say like... They could call it horniness got us here. <laughs> and they're all staring at the same window in turtlenecks. I want to say this is like a very sad movie about uh, resentments in, in long-term married couples <laughs> and people dealing with grief. 
I mean, it's in one way, it's like we're looking at the negative image of horniness, <laughs> which is that what better portrait of horniness do you need? It's like a boner pressed into the sand. I feel like there are some... <laughs> I'd stand by that much. <laughs> I feel like, uh, again, I'm just imagining our, our imaginary thousands of viewers just shouting examples at Oh, right. Of really good horny movies. Let me just Google. I'm going on an incognito tab. I'm going to Google erotic films. <laughs> like, I think, I think uh, you're approaching it by being like, what movies do I like? Which of those could I filter out for horniness? Where I feel like we should just uh, be like... What are movies that are like objectively erotic about a different subject topic? Oh God, no, I can't even. Yeah, it turns out when you Google erotic movies, well, yeah, it's gonna be porn. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the one that's on IMDb. <laughs> I've never seen Secretary. People swear by that. It's based on a. I've never heard of Secretary. It's based on a Mary Gatskill short story. Her oh. short stories are great yeah. and very horny. <laughs> um, Blue Velvet is like the one famous. Lynch movie I haven't seen. I've seen like all the. I've seen like Lost Highway twice. I don't um, know anything about Blue Velvet. Um, I it's a movie. It's another movie where you'll see it and you realize people reference it a lot. Eyes Wide Shut is number fourteen on this list. That's not a good. <laughs> Basic Instinct. We saw that. Oh, Basic Instinct is a very horny. Very movie. horny. It's movie. the horniest movie I've ever seen. Yeah, that's they couldn't keep it together almost to make it. Um, oh, a horny movie is um, Fear. Beer. With Reese Witherspoon and young... I don't remember that. What happens in that at all. It's, Did we ever finish that? No, we watched... And we were just like... A trial ended and it's like, well, we'll never see that. Because it's like not like we're going to rent it or anything. Yeah, so not much... I don't think we missed much on this list of 40 movies. Good. I don't think... I'm going to click on this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get you off of this website. Wow, the internet's really... <laughs> rose to meet us on that one. I'd throw that phone away. <laughs> Also, it's like, I'm not sure. I googled, like, erotic film. <laughs> and they were just like, here, oh, what you might like is just pornography. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a little on the nose phone. Anyway, I I was like, looking for, like, dangerous liaisons or something. I feel like we've uh, about tapped this, the potential I, of this specific conversation. I was really trying to push our comfort levels here, because it's so fun. The whole funny thing is that this movie is going to be talking I don't think it oh, bothered yeah. us at all. We're such mature adults. <laughs> well, no, I think, just like you were saying, it wasn't a sexy movie. Like, right. I think um, Basic Instinct would actually be more of a right. discussion for that category. Like, this was more of just like a isn't sex all consuming and weird? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I guess. Yeah. According to you guys. Not the way I do it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, I love you. <laughs> Thank you for having me But anyways, well, this has been Eyes Wide Shut. Thanks for, thanks for keeping your ears wide open. open. Oh, we crushed it. Well, as always, I love you guys. Not in like a horny way. Just like... <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.